Well, hello and welcome to the Reconstructionist Podcast, where we help you reconstruct while you deconstruct so you don't self-destruct. So this week, I am super excited to bring to you my interview with Joshua Leventhal. Um, Joshua is a musician, he is an artist, and he is a worship pastor at a, a church in Canada called Village Church. Um, and, and he has uh, been pr- making music for a little bit now that, that I've really personally connected with. I struggle with most quote-unquote worship music, and I find him and his voice and the way he writes uh, to be really refreshing. And so me and him sit down, and we chat about worship. We talk about what it is, why we do it as Christians. We talk about worship music, why it's not the greatest, why sometimes it sucks, what you should do if you're struggling with the music at your church or if you're just struggling with worship music in general and then we talk about his process how he writes we talk about a little song he wrote called goliath which i absolutely adore so without further ado i hope you enjoy this interview that i had with joshua all right hey joshua how's it going good man how are you doing uh i am great um so me and you met uh actually several years ago um before i actually really knew who you were uh you're one of the people who helped convince me to go to briar briarcrest you're one of those people who convinced me mm-hmm. to get my college degrees because i i came to experience briarcrest which is like a a thing at the college where a bunch of high schoolers show up and just see what the college is like and you yeah. were on a panel with people uh just talking about why you love briarcrest and i remember i had a conversation with you you there and you helped convince me like yeah okay i'm gonna go to briarcrest um which is funny because your pastor of the church you're at now the lead pastor mark clark also did the same thing well <laughs> he convinced me that i shouldn't go plant a church at the age of 18 that i should go get my college degree which was a good decision um but then yeah. we met later uh at a at a backyard concert um with the young adults of my church where mm-hmm. you you were there and I remember saying to me, like, man, I really just feel like I know who this person is. And it'd been years since I've seen you. And then I saw, like, the because the, you have this t- musical tattoo on your arm that's, uh-huh. like, very unique. And I was like, I'm pretty confident that this is the same guy. So I'm going to, like, ask him <laughs> and see if he remembers who I am. And sure enough, it was you. Um, and so that's how I know you. Uh, but for those who don't know who you are, uh, can you just give a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, what you're up to, what COVID's been like so far for you? Yeah. Um, well, first off, before we even get into that, I actually also did experience Briarcrest too and had people oh, really? kind of do the same thing for me. Yeah. They kind of convinced wow. me. Uh, so that cool. was, yeah, it was like that, that weekend was super formative uh, for me and in, in going there myself. But um, yeah, so my name is Joshua Leventhal. Uh, I'm actually American born, was born in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, we oh. moved up to Saskatchewan when I was three. And, um, uh, yeah, I've spent most of my life kind of in the prairies area for the most part. Um, I grew up in Saskatoon, uh, then high school was in, uh, Alberta, um, ended up back in Saskatchewan, did a year uh, after graduating at Hillsong International Leadership College in Sydney, mm-hmm. Australia, then four years at Briarcrest, uh, then took my internship post in Lethbridge, Alberta, um, and then following that, ended up at Green Bay Bible Camp, which is what led me out west to where I am now. I'm based in BC. Huh. Uh, I was in Kelowna at a church for um, a couple of years there. I guess I should back up. I'm a, I'm a professional worship leader and singer-songwriter <laughs> and artist. Um, I guess I kind of skipped over that part. Um, 
And so, uh, yeah, so in Kelowna, I was at a church there for a couple of years um, and uh, also released my first EP um, under my own name and a couple of singles as well. Um, and then ended up uh, coming down south to Lower Mainland um, and coming mm-hmm. on at Village Church, which is where I've been for the last uh, a little over two years now. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been writing and, and working on music with them um, and uh, yeah, leading and uh, also just now starting to think about my own stuff again, um, yeah. coming up here this year, actually. So that's awesome. Um, and yeah, so I, at that concert is where I was exposed to kind of your music because uh, you had your first EP out um, and, and you played a lot of songs from there. And I remember mm-hmm. sitting there reading the lyrics and listening to the music being like, man, like um, this is just refreshing because I know for me, mm-hmm. I personally, like I've been doing and listening to worship music for almost my whole life. And then in church, uh, when I was in high school, I was super involved in the worship teams and stuff. So it's like, I'm very used to worship music. So sometimes it can be very bland to me where I'm like, oh, I've like heard this. And it all kind of just sounds the same. And I'm, but yours was super unique. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you even have an interesting perspective on just like worship where um, you obviously are at Village doing that. But I think even just personally for you. And so I wanted to ask you, like, what is this thing we call worship in Christianity? Like, what is it and, and why do we do it? Yeah, so um, I find it really interesting. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll say first, um, I came to music a little bit late in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I took piano lessons as a kid, hated it. Um, regret yeah. that now. Uh, <laughs> and then in high school, high school is where I picked up a guitar, started to learn, started leading a youth group, that kind of thing. Uh, started mm-hmm. writing music pretty quickly because I was an angsty teenager and needed to get all my feelings out. And yeah. um, and so uh yeah, like I guess writing has just always been a part of my journey with music. Um, and then so when it comes to the idea of worship, I think it's funny because we'll say that it's it's not just music. But then when we uh, want to talk about it, we always just ask the musicians. Yeah. Um, and so for me personally, like, I mean, I guess I don't know if it's because I came to music late or it's just because of how like I see myself in relationship to Jesus. Um, like I never see myself as a musician first. Um, mm. I see myself as a disciple first and everything else second. Huh. Um, and, uh, I think even though like music is my life and I think that, um, worship in the Bible is not ever actually given a description. We're not given a, here is the verse that completely contextualizes and tells us what worship is. What the the Bible gives us is demonstrations of worship. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, I knew going into, you know, wanting to be a musician, a songwriter, a worship leader, I majored in biblical studies, um, because I was getting lots of experience, you know, um, growing in the practical side of music and leading and that sort of thing. And I just wanted to make sure that I was as biblically informed, uh, yeah. of a writer and worship leader as possible. And so, um, while there's not like a complete clear definition of what worship is in scripture, um, you know, people say things like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle or everything is worship. And, yeah. um, I don't think everything is worship because then nothing is worship because it's like, uh, there's no, there's no delineation, but I think the notion that like things can be worship that we wouldn't intend them to be, and actually probably are in our lives that we didn't Mm. think they are, uh, is very much a part of the equation. And my best definition that I think I can come up with, uh, out of a, out of a, a scriptural definition of worship would be it's a response to who God is and what he's done. 
and that that can be expressed in a number of different ways. And so I think you have like worship. Uh, I think there's kind of three different layers to worship. We have like the human sense of like, this is a common thing outside of uh, the Judeo-Christian understanding um, yeah. to humanity. You have the like Old Testament Hebrew, this is what Yahweh ascribed to his people. And then you have Jesus changing things. So uh, worship at a, at a uh, 10,000 foot perspective, um, it's common to everybody. Like what, like it has been a part of the dawn of human history. Um, and it was more explicit in ancient cultures where like they had this practice um, that they would call worship. Um, yeah. And I think we in the modern Western world think that we're outside of that and we're really not. Um, mm. And the reason for this, uh, a lot of the first uh, instances you see of, of worship described um, in the Old Testament is around idolatry. Mm. And idolatry is essentially just the worship of God. Uh, gods that aren't uh, Yahweh. And basically yeah. as, as St. Augustine would say, it's disordered love. It's placing mm. things uh, outside the right uh, place. And Tim Keller, I think has done the best work uh, in like a modern context for helping guide basically, basically at anybody's level of understanding, they can understand what idolatry is with his definitions. And it's really, really good. Um, and so he often says, you know, idols are rarely bad things. They're good things. We turn into ultimate things. And so they're things that we take over and place in the heart way. And if you want to know what your idols are, look at your nightmares, look at the things you couldn't imagine being taken from you um, that you've centered your life around. And so um, for us in the modern context, we go, well, we don't worship gods of wood and stone. Like that's like, you know, that was those, those unenlightened pagans back in the day kind of thing. Uh, but a lot of the gods that those people were worshiping um, in ancient cultures were representative of different things. You have gods of fertility, gods of sex, gods of prosperity, gods of war. You have all these things um, that are representative. And so we just worship those things. Now we just don't like make like sculptures of them uh, mm. most of the time. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's what you're kind of like, 30,000 foot perspective on like a human sense of worship is. And I think in, it's in second Kings, I think chapter is 15 or 17. Um, there's this really crazy phrase where they say they worship worthless idols and they themselves became worthless. And it was talking mm -hmm. about the Israelites. And it's like this notion that we take on the nature of what we worship. And I think anybody can look at themselves or the current state of society. And we start to analyze what our idols are and, uh, and what we're putting our stock into and see how we take on that nature. Um, and then the hope in that is that if it is placed, if our object of our worship is placed in the right place, the inscription of worthiness uh, to one, um, and it's the right thing that we would take on that nature as well. So then we get to Hebrew worship uh, and the Old Testament. And so um, you have this unique uh, calling on this people from their God, um, the one true God, as, as, as made explicit in scripture, that this is the one who made heavens and the earth and that like the other gods are not really gods at all. Um, and, uh, and he kind of has these, uh, I, I would say there's so much going on in terms of understanding of, of, of scriptural uh, Hebrew worship, but I would say three sort of things that really have always stood out to me about it. Um, in, in one sense, you have very specific, elaborate practice. So if you read Leviticus, Deuteronomy, any of the Levitical laws, it's extremely intense in terms of the care and craft that is put into every aspect of their life. Um, it is uh, all encompassing. Um, yeah. There is order to it. There is beauty to it. Um, and, uh, and it's something that I think actually has bearing on, on us in the modern church now. And I'll get to that in a minute. Um, 
but yeah, there's just this, this incredible uh, degree to which there's so much going on in it. Um, and it's not arbitrary. It's all consecrated to Yahweh. Uh, mm. The second thing I would say is it's integrated practice. So if you were to, it, it was part of, it was woven into the aspect of every single bit of their lives, like the purity stuff. And a lot of those laws are like tied to cleanliness and like dealing with like germs and stuff before yeah. they knew about microbiology. Yeah. And and they wouldn't have seen those as like just being pragmatic. They were see them as part of their worship. So if you asked an ancient Hebrew, like, you know, tell me about your religious life and tell me about the rest of your life, they would have just kind of been like, huh? Like there's no, there wouldn't have been a, a distinction between those two things. Um, and I think that's also incredibly important for us now as modern Christians in terms of it's very easy for us to bifurcate uh, and we have our church life and how we see our God and like, and we're not bringing it into every single aspect of our life. Um, and so it's like, we see our relationship with God is like, how much time did I spend in prayer and reading scripture today? And, and yeah. spending, spending time reading prayer and reading scripture, going to church, being in community, all those are absolutely crucial to worship. But the other half of that is, uh, did you bring God into that hard conversation you had to have with your coworker? Did you bring God mm -hmm. into uh, your decompression around that piece of conflict or that like moment you had? Um, and really God's not just interested in give me more minutes of time of like, this is when you sit down in your closet and pray. Absolutely. That's part of the equation, but it's also take me into everything. Let me into every single aspect uh, yeah. of, of your life. There's not this separation. Um, and then the last thing I would say, uh, that's really important, uh, well, like also on the integrated practice side is just justice. And that piece of like, okay, like God is saying what's close to his heart is caring for the people that we tend to shun and see as unimportant. And that that's actually very explicitly tied. And the last thing would be sacrifice. And so sacrifice, um, in the old Testament it takes on both the form of like, okay, here's like offerings of like our earnings, like in farm-based culture, but also like live animals. Um, and what's different about Hebrew sacrifice than say like pagan sacrifice is that you don't have, um, you don't have us killing animals as a, as a way of just, just being God from being angry, you know, like a lot of, a lot of, um, ancient cultures, they would literally sacrifice children, grown human beings, like, uh, yeah. and it was like a throw them into the fire so that Moloch doesn't murder us. Um, and the idea of death in sacrifice, uh, for Yahweh is, um, sin has the cost of death. And this is, um, that, 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 that sin does cost death and he doesn't want that upon us. And so it is both um, this literal atonement, like making at one, but also um, it's a constant reminder of the gravity of it. Yeah. So that's, that's a sense of like what Hebrew uh, scripture be. I know that's a lot of like technical preamble, but then this gets us into what matters when Jesus comes. Mm. So Jesus is God in flesh. He is fully human, fully divine. Um, and that's a mystery that, uh, we can never plumb the full depths of, but we should try. Um, and uh, what makes worship Christian in a Christian worship sense is the work of Jesus and his cross. Mm. So you have um, this beautiful uh, understanding of like, if, if, if our worship is a response to who God is and what he's done, um, the ultimate demonstration of who he is and what he's done is Jesus, which is that like, you know, I remember Wes Olmstead of Briarcrest saying like, if you want a greater, the, the best picture of, of who your God is, it's him bleeding for you on a cross. 
And that's not what we think of when we like, you know, we can talk about the omnipotence, the omniscience, all of the, the uh, big ontological terms around what, who God is, but that like his character is so wrapped up in, in what he's done in Christ. Um, mm -hmm. And so that for us, that means that this is like the central focal point of our worship. So it's that response piece. And if you see in revelation chapters four and five, when you like, you see this picture of the heavenly throne room, all these angels and elders singing and shouting and screaming. And it's all, it's all uh, for one thing. And that one thing is the lamb who is slain. They're singing worthy. Mm -hmm. Holy is the lamb who is slain. Um, he's at the center of everything. Um, and what's more than that, there's this crazy idea with Jesus that, okay, he is both the perfect sacrifice so that like, you know, they would kill lambs year after year after year. Jesus yeah. was the perfect lamb is once and for all. It actually went mm -hmm. both ways in history for those who, uh, you know, as, as in John, it said, for those who accept him, that they, they became, uh, he gave them the right to be sons and daughters of God. And, mm -hmm. um, and so with Jesus, you get that. Um, where he's the sacrifice, but Hebrews, the book of Hebrews also tells us that he's also the high priest. He's actually also mediating the sacrifice and he's actually mediating our worship mm -hmm. that yeah. um, as sinful human beings, even when we do it really, really well, even when the Hebrews were operating in the, at the height of the best, most ornate Levitical law, um, it's still imperfect because of their sinfulness and that Jesus actually perfects mm -hmm. their offering for them, huh. which is the most beautiful concept. Um and so that's like, okay, that's a big, like, but kind of snapshotty version of like a, a scriptural definition of worship. Uh, where does music come into that? Yeah. Uh, it's commanded first off. Um, the Psalms commanded a lot of the time. Uh, and we're never given a reason why I, I personally, after like, you know, spending my entire life uh, in the Bible, I, I think it's, a testament to the beauty of our God that he would give us something for us to magnify him. That's something that we enjoy so much um, that music is also universal to culture that it's like literally woven into us. And it's this thing where as we magnify him, it actually does so much in us um, emotionally and cognitively and just really holistically um, that is, is really beautiful. So you have it commanded, but it's also like this, like, is this bringer of joy? It's also an expression of sorrow. Um, and so you have the Psalms, which are basically just an entire giant songbook. Um, and with that, you have this like immense, uh, landscape of, of what that looks like. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of been like a part of, of the equation since, since day one. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's both a part of like what, you know, was practiced by here, but it's also part of what we see in heaven in the revelation pictures is, is this idea of this music being constant and that it's close to God's heart. And so that's a part of our worship. Um, and obviously a massive part of our worship, uh, in church and church life and our personal life as well. Yeah. And I think that's, um, that's something that we often miss or don't understand fully or forget about, especially in our context, because often when we think of worship as Western Christians, we think of just like the musical aspect. It's like, oh, it's when we sing those Hillsong songs during church um, at the beginning and then maybe to bookend it at the end. That's that's what worship is. But actually, like biblically, worship is a lot of different things. It's like what you're ascribing worth to. Um, yeah. So it can be in idols so yeah because i've heard lots of people say before that like everybody worships it's just yeah. that not, not everybody's fully aware that they're actually worshiping totally. something 
and then it's interesting then how like god in in knowing that we are creatures who worship like gives us this gift of music that we can use it as a tool to do all kinds of things that ascribe worship to him and i think that that sometimes at least for me where it's been like that's sometimes where like the frustrating part is with worship because <laughs> sometimes sure. i get salty where i'm like sitting in church whatever and and sometimes it is hard where it's just like oh just like lyrically and like <laughs> musically sometimes it's just like oh this just feels so lazy or it just feels like mm. oh it just feels like there's more here and, it, and it's hard um I think for me sometimes and other people that I know to like get past those pet peeves, but like for some of it is like, I'm just not into the same music and you can go to different churches yeah. where like you can go to an Anglican church where they're more singing hymns and it's like um, more like just the organ and the choir, or you can go to something that's more like a Hillsong where it's like, okay, we're like sounding more poppy and um, more contemporary, which is a mm -hmm. word Christians use. I'm not sure if other people <laughs> use it. Um, and then there's other things like King's Kaleidoscope or people like you where I'm like, oh, this sounds more like what I like mm. when it comes to music. But I, I just have a question for you as to like, um, worship is such a broad category. It's often attributed to music. And that mm. usually is when people think of worship, that's what comes to their brain is like the musical part of like a Sunday service or whatever. Um, how do you as a worship leader, but then also as like a musician yourself and as a follower of Jesus, how do you not let those pet peeves or, or those things bother you get in the way of worshiping God. But then also like, do you think that there is um, a little bit of a, like, am I just a cynic? Am I just a cynical person <laughs> who's sitting around just complaining for nothing? Or do you think that there is something to it, that there is maybe a little bit of a problem um, or something going wrong in the way that we've been doing worship or worship music in the last few decades? So I guess two questions, like, do yeah. you agree with me <laughs> to some extent? And then if so, like, how do you navigate actually um, dealing with those feelings that you have when you're in church and, and try to actually just engage and worship God, despite maybe this isn't your favorite song or whatever? Totally. Um, yeah. So I would, I would, uh, I, I, I understand the sentiment and definitely have those moments. And like, honestly, it's a huge part of why I, um, I'm writing music and releasing music is, mm. uh, you know, like you, as a, when you're a young writer, you kind of want to write like your heroes. And then over time you want, you start to try to write the music you wish others were writing. And for mm. me, I'm like kind of determined to do it in the church space. Um, and there's tension there with like what's congregational and what's not. Um, but uh, for me, um, yeah, like I, I really am in a lot of ways writing in response to um, certain things that I see. And so, and I, I want to preface this by saying that like, I think that there is music that comes out um, across like both from like the really big churches as well as like the more like kind of like alt scene stuff uh, yeah. that there is like, there is stuff that comes out that's absolutely beautiful that does mm -hmm. an amazing job lyrically and musically. Yeah. Uh, I would say for like the like kind of mainstream worship world, what's happened is um it suddenly became an industry uh, and that happened over a course of time. And yeah. it's not that I think anybody's hearts in it are wrong. It's just that there's like become this beast that just needs feeding. And so mm -hmm. there's just so much of it um, and it's becoming more and more self-referential. Um, and I think like, you know, overall, like as, as time and society progresses, actually literacy goes down. Um, we're mm. at a time where, you know, people's biblical literacy is at an all time low. Like there are so yeah. many things you just can't accept as givens when you're talking to people mm. anymore. 
Um, and so as a result of that, you just, you see a lot of like certain cliches and stuff popping up a lot. Um, you see, um, real simplifications where like, for me, uh, my, my question, not just is a song theologically correct. It's like, that's like, that's like a baseline. Like, let's just get that. My question is like, is it, is it doing enough? Um, is it saying enough? Is it being beautiful enough? And that's not against simplicity. Um, like simple can be really, really good. I just think, I think like good simplicity isn't easy it takes time to get to like um mm. s- simplistic is when it's like you got there really easily it's like oh man like we just need a line here like we'll just use this thing that's been said ten thousand times yeah. um simple can be often really hard if you do it right where it's like it's like you just carefully crafted getting to that point and so for mm. me like a lot of what i'm trying to write is is music in response in the sense of like okay like rather than me just complain about it i want to do something about it i want to be um contributing in that way and i think with that like you know like my my cry and what i'm hoping to do in like you know the number next number of years and as i'm getting like you know i'm 30 now as i get older um is also just try to put this passion in young people because mm. um I think a lot of times the mantle on worship leaders these days is all you really need to be is really good at music and wear, and wear skinny jeans. And I yeah. hope I'm good at music <laughs> and I do wear skinny jeans. Um, and I do wear skinny jeans. So I look the part and people immediately look at me and I think they assume all sorts of things about me. Like, I oh, probably doesn't know his Bible that well. He'd probably like mm-hmm. decently shallow. I'm, I'm trying to subvert that. Um, but like, we're like, I actually don't think those things are wrong. I don't think it's like, I think we actually should excel in our craft. I think back to the point about like Hebrew worship, like, when people are like, oh, it's all for Jesus. Like, it doesn't matter how good it is. It's like, you no, know, it needs to be great. Like, that's like, because it's for the king of kings. Like, yeah. um, so I really care about the excellence part. Absolutely. Um, but that's just not enough either. It's like, man, I like, I care about the content. Um, mm. And so like, that's where I'm coming from, from writing place. And I'm also trying to like, you know, invite people into that vision because it is really easy. Like, I think I do have a cynical bent in me and it's really easy for me uh to just get ho-hum about it um and mm-hmm. there's a guy who spoke at briarcrest one time he said as we develop sharp and critical minds we face the danger of developing sharp and critical hearts uh, so i just want to be incredibly sharp on a on a, a cognitive standpoint but incredibly soft-hearted in in mm-hmm. and pastoral on how i approach this stuff and i think some days i do it better than others but um yeah so so that was what i would say is like kind of like what we're seeing an overall trend and like and i want to see more and more people like long to like yeah just be able to speak to this in a more profound way um where both both being saturated in scripture like man there's so many wells that we're just not going to um we're going to the same things over and over again or if we go to the same things over and over again the same way like I like my song steadfast like i don't have the market cornered on water metaphors like that's yeah. that's there's plenty of that in modern worship there's like there are certain things that are happening in that song that are trying to subvert some of those notions um things like you know like in the second verse um instead of just saying like so the, the second verse is and though i failed to keep your laws you salvaged me from the wreck i was and i think mm-hmm. most people would um probably just say something like you rescued me. Yeah. You rescued me. That would be like the, yeah. that would be the typical modern worship equivalent. You rescued me. Yeah. You rescued me. Uh, and that's really singable, but there's a very different idea behind salvaged and rescued. Um, first off in rescued, you're like only helpless, like creature who like really is not at fault. Uh, mm. if you're the wreck, it's a bit of a different story. Um, yeah. secondly, so it's introducing the idea that like we're, we're sinful. Secondly, um salvaging is different than rescuing 
salvaging mm. is taking something and repurposing it um, mm. and reforming mm. it. And that's exactly what God does with us. And so it's trying to just really pick words carefully. It's like, mm. like, you know, it's, 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 it's trying to find a place and it's a hard balance to do where you're trying to like uh, challenge people without going over their heads. Um, and so that's kind of like the mandate I see on it. And that's like the hope I take with it. And then for like the musical side of it, like, man, I just like, I do listen to worship music, uh, but I also listen to a lot of other music. And, uh, um, you know, there's a uh, Rick Rubin, who's this amazing producer. Um, and he's, he's produced everyone from like Beastie Boys and Metallica to like Adele. And, uh, and, um, <laughs> and he's just got this wide variety. Um, and he, uh, he says, you know, EDM artists who only listen to EDM music make really crappy EDM music. He doesn't say crappy, mm. but, <laughs> and, uh, and I think the same is true is like, man, like, just like, I think there's a real importance to like letting as many forms of music and not just music, man, like, like, like literature, uh, like, like movies. Like I used to go and watch my sisters dance and it would inspire me to write songs. And it's like, there's so much like cross medium that needs to happen. And mm. I think, that's like the 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 thing for worship music is like a hope people inside of it are listening to things outside of it um mm. to help inform that uh so that's the very long-winded answer to the first part of your question the second part of your question uh, <laughs> around pet peeves um yeah so i think a couple things um if you like first off like i mean um there's a fine line between like church shopping and mm. uh, and also like finding a place where like you're fit um so yeah. like you know, if you're like, you can't, if, if you're in a church and you feel like you need to be in that church and there's certain things that are just unrealistic to expect in terms of them changing it, like, I just need this to be like me. Um, mm. That's not really fair to the church, but like, don't necessarily leave either just for like the ease of like, this isn't, but I think a couple yeah. of things. One, if you're struggling with the music, um, it's probably worth talking to your worship leader and senior pastor and doing it from a place of humility. It's not like, a, mm. hey, I know best about this, yeah. um, but coming at it from a, Hey, um, you guys care deeply about this. I care deeply about this. And like, the truth is this is where people are understanding and knowing their God. Um, Luther was like, you know, saying like, this is like where people really get their theology from like period yeah. his music. He understood that. Um, Gordon T Smith in his book called to be saints argues like your worship leaders, are your primary discipleship makers, whether you want them to be mm. or not. Um, mm. and he, uh, and he's not even a worship leader. <laughs> um, he just <laughs> understands, he just understands how formative it is. Huh. Um, so it's really important that we get this right, but it's not even just from like a head standpoint. It's also like a music stirs affection in you. And it's like, okay, what is that affection being stirred towards? Um, mm. And so the emotion is actually not a bad thing. The emotion is not a bad thing as long as it's just not hollow and baseless, as huh. long as it's actually full of substance and taking you to the right place. Mm. Uh, feeling things is a really good thing. Um, and so like, I think talking to your worship leader and senior pastor about what it is you're singing is, is really good. Um, again, coming at it from a place of humility, cause they're not going to listen if you just think you know it all. And you like, yeah. and you're also, if you're telling them that they're doing a bad job. And so while it's like, it can be like, you can potentially like suggest like them to listen to some different things and stuff. Like I know for me, like oftentimes if, if somebody emails me and goes, Hey, let's do this song. Yeah, <laughs> I immediately, I immediately go into defensive mode. Cause I'm like, yeah. you're like, like you're, you're, you know, you're telling me all these things where it's like, so it's like, it's worth doing it from a conversational standpoint. And um, as much as like worship leaders have like the, you know, the front center stage kind of thing, a lot of times like people only do come to them if they, if there's something they want different. Yeah. Um, 
And so like really it, them understanding that you love and care about them um, and that you think they're doing a great job is really important, I think. Um, and then and then coming at it from a place of humility, you might be able to talk with them and and talk about what it is we're singing, how we're singing it, all of those kind of things. Um, so that's like one place. And like, and like even ask them, like, I think it's I think actually a fair thing to do in humility is ask them about their process. Ask mm. them about like what goes into like choosing songs for you. Cause maybe you actually invite them like hopefully don't do it passive aggressively, but invite them to think about <laughs> what their process is. Like, do they have mm. one? Do they have a grid for how they're choosing songs besides like this chorus is really hits. Like mm. that's not a good answer. Um, <laughs> I hope the choruses of songs hit, they should hit, but they should hit with yeah. way more than just they hit. They sh it should be mm. like a, a lot more to it than that. Um, so like those kind of things are things you can do. And then like, and then from a, uh, from a, what does it mean to like, if you're in worship and like kind of just quote unquote, not feeling it. Um, this is where I actually put like a lot of onus on like me, not me as a worship leader, me as a worship partaker and anybody mm -hmm. who is, is staying in on worship in the sense of, um, are you showing up at church and just expecting it to carry you into the presence of God and mm -hmm. you have been doing nothing in either the last 24 hours or week to do so yourself. Um, yeah. So for me personally, I'm really cynical in the mornings. Like I wake up and the world does not look <laughs> um, I just like, I have to get up like when, when we're live uh, to get up at the Bell Center, I get up at 4.45 in the morning to be there at 6.30. Uh. Um, but I'm not a morning guy. I, like I just, mm. I'm not. And, uh, and so the world looks like a dark and horrible place. And so if I, if I'm rolling into church half an hour after waking up, I'm going to be awful. <laughs> mm. um, just even as like a congregant. Um, yeah. and, and I'm going to be more easily annoyed with everything. So for me personally, I like, first thing I have to do is I have to wake up early enough that like my mind can truly switch on and my heart can soften a bit and I can get to a place mm. where I'm ready to like actually, um, take stuff in. Um, I'm also a bit of a weird one because like, for me, it takes a really long time in worship for me to shut off the analytical part of my brain, like at yeah. least 20 minutes before I'm going to be able to actually like like stop focusing on like you know what is happening from a technical side mm, of things yeah yeah um, but that's not most people i don't think no uh and so and then the question too is like okay like what are you doing in terms of of like feeding yourself and preparing your own heart for this because like um again like i think even uh um you know I, like i've used the analogy before that if, if you know say say a couple um, and this is, this is flawed because anytime, like I, I do use like spousal analogies and stuff in relationship to worship. Sometimes it's obviously flawed mm -hmm. because spouses uh, share equal footing and we do not yeah. share equal footing with God. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, if, if you're in a relationship, like if you're in a marriage and you have a date night and everything in your life, like you guys don't talk during the week, you're like, you're, or even like in the 24 hours leading up and like, you just like, you're not like putting the time and effort and heart and energy into that relationship. Like what's the date night going to do to, mm. <laughs> it can only do so much. Maybe it's an awesome date night and maybe you got like help some, but like the, the degree to which that is an expression, I think this applies to the marriage bed as well. Is like outside of like, what is everything else surrounding that? Um, mm. That's what like makes it what it is. And, and to be lacking in that, like, and just expect that to do all the work for you. We would look at that and say, that's nonsense. Um, that's an augmentation and that's a huge part of like, that's part of the rhythm and understanding and like of that. But like, it's also, it's also fed out of like, okay, here's what the rest of 
our lives look like. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's an important thing to ask yourself is like, man, uh, like, because like, cause to be honest, guys, like, I mean, like, so as, as much as there's like the whole, like, I, I believe like make a, uh, like the, it's, it's on the worship leaders and the pastors to be writing music that is compelling and powerful and, mm. and, and deep and beautiful and all of these aspects. Um, there have been times where God has surprised me where like, like he meets me in a song that I would thumb my nose at kind of, yeah. um, and I'm just have to like, uh, swallow that and go, mm-hmm. you know what? You're so much bigger than like my, my own understanding. And also like, and, and also like, and then, and then coming from a place of like that music also does meet other people. Mm-hmm. And we want to invite yeah. those people into more, um, rather than like just thumbing our noses and going like, okay, uh, this is this shallow, it's boring. It's like, and cause sometimes it is like, I'm not saying it's not, um, yeah. but, but, but rather than just pointing out the problem, inviting into the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so ironically, as much worship music is out there right now, I don't actually think there's enough. I think there's too much, but there's too much of like a certain kind mm-hmm. and there needs to yeah. be more. And I think actually the answer to be there being more, would be for the too much to slow down. Like the church doesn't need to write an album every year. Uh, yeah. If they just yeah. like would, you know, take two or three years and like really craft something. And if all these different churches were doing that, I think you'd see a really beautiful um, transformation because like, you know, say like, so like for like this, uh, a whole song album, sometimes like I'll be like three of these songs are profound. Like they're incredible yep. and actually like, and, and, and do, insane work in me and the other eight i just don't I, they're mm-hmm. just not doing it for me um and it's like man if if, if they if they held on to those three and waited you know a couple of years yeah and then like and just were like we're never going to put out a placeholder song ever yeah um mm. it'd be a huge thing like it's such an interesting point because i don't think i used to work at like a christian bookstore so i noticed pretty quickly that like huh these guys are coming out with albums every year and then when i went to briarcrest um they started having the worship teams there start to write music and as we wrote music i was like there is no way there's just no way that i could write with this team like high quality songs every year and like come out with a whole album where it's like we might get like one two or three but yeah. I don't know if we could, cause it takes a lot of work and I don't think a lot of like, if you're not musical and you're not into that scene, it's hard to realize that. It's, it's, so it's just a weird thing where it's like, um, and you're right that like Hillsong comes out with an album every, every year. So does Elevation Worship yeah. and a lot of those big guys. And the thing is that like on those albums, there's like two or three good songs. And those are the ones we usually end up singing. And, but then there's like, and ones are just like, this sounds like every other song. And then even uh, watching some of the writing process is weird. And I don't want to critique it too much, but it is, it does make me question where it's like some of the songs they're about to go out and record because they record it live and they're still writing it. 
And it's like, we don't know. If, and I'm like, this doesn't seem like the best way <laughs> to record this song. Where it's like, it's not even done yet. Yeah. We're just like writing them last minute. And it's like, oh, I don't know. And sometimes it works out in their favor. Like, I think the blessing, Carrie, mm-hmm. Job, and them wrote like right before. And it was like, hey, that like that song impacted a lot of people. But it's just, it's yeah. interesting to see that process. But I, I have an off script question for you sure. um, that I can kind of tie into something else where it's like, because you talked about for worship leaders um, and worship pastors, like uh, that they should have like a process for how they they pick worship music, and that con- and that congregants, if they're like struggling, they can ask in a respectful way. Because again, like I totally feel you. When I was on a worship team, the the last thing, the, like the most annoying thing, was like just the comments on music all the time. It's like, oh, here we go, another like it's and it's never usually. I like some people are really coming from a place of like. Um, uh, actual care uh, but yeah. so it just sounds negative because you're because totally. you're putting yourself out there you're being vulnerable and it's frustrating when you are trying and it's just like people are complaining um, but what is your process for choosing songs at village mm. and even for yourself like when you're writing a song like what is your process and being like yes this is the kind of song I want to put out um, this is the kind of thing I want to do. And then for Village 2, like when you guys choose a song that's already written, like whether it's like, I don't know, like Cornerstone or The Blessing or um, a million of the other ones, how do you guys decide which ones? Yeah, these are the ones that we think are are the kinds of things we want to be doing here. And these are the ones we're like, ah, I don't really know about that. Like, what are your process with those things when it comes to writing and selecting songs that you guys do? Yeah, so I would say it's it's a little bit different uh, from a, a selecting to a writing. Uh, from a selecting mm. side of things, um, like I'm actually really grateful. Like they have a lot of they the leadership at Village has put a lot of trust in me in terms of like how huh. like and in terms of being just able to like go for stuff. So I don't. Mm. Um, we used to have a pretty convoluted process um, that's kind of sifted down quite a bit. Um, and so for me, I don't have like a hard and fast, but like the kind of, there's like a lot of like things I'm keeping intention in, in my mind, um, as I'm doing it. So like, to the question of like, um, okay. Like, so like, let's just assume theologically correct. That's not even going to be like a part of the discussion. That's just like a, that's like a, that's out of the way. Um, the, where do I even start? Okay, like, so like the, to the Christian point, like, um, I want to know, like, like, I, I don't believe that every single uh, worship song needs to explicitly mention the cross uh, mm-hmm. and the resurrection, but I think every set should. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, you need a lot of songs that do. Um, so for like, because like, I actually don't think it's wrong to have a song that doesn't have that as long as it's qualified by songs that do like an example I use. So like, uh, King of My Heart, we actually sing at Village. Um, yeah. and John Mark McMillan, like if that's the only thing people know by him, he's actually like one of the be- most brilliant songwriters I think yeah. I've ever heard Christian or not. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so like people will like put it to that song. It's like, Oh, it's like, he just generically saying you're good. You're good. Like, it's like, yeah. I actually don't see a problem with that as long as we qualify why and we qualify mm-hmm. why with other songs. So it's like, okay, if I'm going to sing King of my heart, it needs to be in the context of like, what else am I singing in this service? that explains why besides just like some generic video. Okay. So like, if you're never going to let me down as the bridge says that song, yeah, it's because he was crushed for us. And mm-hmm. that's why, um, that's why we understand. It doesn't mean that you're never going to have problems. You're never going to like, you're like, as John Piper says, your pigs won't die. You're like, like all this, like, it's like, no, like it can go really bad for you, but ultimately you're secure because of Jesus. Yeah. Um, 
So, so the, the d- degree to which Jesus is a part of it is huge. Um, I absolutely will talk about the ratio. So people use this, like, they're like, is this song me centered or God centered? And what they really mean by that is like how many I pronouns versus he or you, or like those kind of pronouns. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a bit of a false dichotomy because the psalmist mm. talks about himself all the time. Mm. Uh, but the problem is the posture. And so mm. I talk about this ratio where like in Psalm 33, it says, uh, you know, the Psalm starts with like, you know, uh, ascribe to the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, play skillfully, make music, yada, yada, yada. This first like four verse, three or four verses. And then it says for the Lord has and the next 18 are who he is and what he's done. So mm. it's very okay for us to talk about ourselves and what we do. It just has to entirely be through the lens and postured towards who the Lord is. So like, if it just uh-huh. feels like, the, if it feels like, in the song, God is the vending machine to my desires and my things Then I'm going to have a problem with it. But if it's like, mm. no, I'm very much a part of the fabric of the song, but it's not because it's about my own ends. I'm not, I'm not the, God is not the means to my end. Um, it's the opposite. Uh, then I'm okay with it. Um, then somebody said this the other day and I thought it was really interesting. It's a question of like, is it worth it? Is mm. is like, okay, so this is going to be drilled into us. This is going to form us and start to like, so it's like, okay, if it's going to do that, is it doing enough to like make that worth it? Is it contributing something uniquely? And I think that's the other thing too, is like, um, not all songs should be all things to all people at all times. Different songs mm. should serve different purposes. And that's why we have sets and we don't sing the same song five times. We sing a song yeah. with as like that. And hopefully, and part of the worship leader's responsibility is to like take people on a journey through, you know, various things, adoration, confession, um, mm. exaltation, um, uh, lament, all of these things are part of it. And so we need songs that serve different purposes. So like, if it's just like, we can't just have a, a church that just sings anthems that aren't specific to different things. Yeah. Um, and I think to that point too, like a question for me is like, is this song doing something like artistically? Like I think artistry is a part, I, I talk about art as catalyst for adoration that like, that's what music is. Um, and artistry is a part of it. We don't like to talk about that, but it is. And, mm. um, and so to that point, like, is there imagery in the lyrics? Like people like, like people don't understand, like, like imagery is like the key to the human heart. Like you understand something like, think about like, think about when, when So Will I became this like absolute phenomenon of a song. It's like so abnormal for like a modern worship song to be yeah. that compelling in that way. Yeah, It's rife with imagery. It's mm. so full of imagery because that like just unlocks, like it takes something abstract and it makes it tangible. Um, and, and, they didn't just say things like, God, you're really good because you made the world. It's like in the vapor of your breath planets form. And it's like that, that is like so profound. And I think that Mm. that's something I'm looking for a lot is like, where's the poetry? Where's the imagery in it? Um, And, and like, yeah, I think honestly, like, do I believe it? Like, does it like bring you to a place of um, this is, this is like, like I'm aware I'm going to sing this song 10,000 times. Uh, are, are these words rich enough that they're going to carry through that amount of time? And what are yeah. they going to be doing for people who aren't reading their Bible enough? If they're, if they're mm. not reading their Bible enough, and this is where they're getting scripture worded. Um, and so I think now to the, my writing side of things, I think that's a huge question. It's like, okay, like I'm asking that question, but like a lot of the time, man, I'm just like, I'm just going like with like what I get moved to. I'm like, what is mm. the song that like I want to hear? And I try to write like the song I want to hear. And it's like, and that serves all sorts of different purposes. Sometimes that's just a means of personal self-expression because I do write music that's not worship music too. Yeah. Um, 
but then also like what what is it like what's a concept around who god is that that i'm feeling and needing to express and like is it coming from a personal place and i want people to feel that man i want people to feel like oh he's like lived it. i can see it in his eyes i can hear it in his voice um but mm. even if they even if it's not me the one singing the song if somebody else is singing a song that i wrote can they hear it in the writing um mm. where there's that like tangible thick aspect of this is coming from a very real place yeah uh, and so yeah so I, I like and then like for me like from a grid standpoint like for me like I think with my writing like I've just like put in a lot of input I've spent a lot of time in God's word in literature I've watched more movies than most people have uh lived days <laughs> um, and uh and uh I think I think like when when that much has gone in um mm. i i like like there's just kind of a rolodex in my brain of like i i kind of know where something's coming from i know like if it's like uh like i i, I kind of a lot of the time i don't have to kind of like look at like something i wrote lyrically and go is that biblical because mm. like i know where i pulled it out of like yeah. <laughs> you know um and so yeah that's that's a bit of, of like kind of the the rigor i would i would put things to yeah, and that's good. And um, I think, yeah, the whole idea of obviously, like the baseline is, is this actually true of who God is? Are we actually being theologically correct? But then like the art and like even thinking about poetry, like are we just saying things the same? Like, is it like, oh God, bring your grace in this place. Uh, I want to feel your sovereign embrace. Like, it's like, okay, yeah. everybody said that before. Uh, are, we, are we going a little bit deeper? And, and then for you yourself, like you're writing songs that you kind of want to hear and people are resonating with it. And I think that that's such a cool thing. And I think when worship does that really well, when, when people begin to write songs that they need and it's resonating with mm. people, that that's really when I start to connect. And I know for me, um, just to dive in before we close, just some of your music. Um, I remember being at that concert and you sang a song that you've written called Goliath. And I talked <laughs> to my roommate about this actually too. And we both said the same thing where it's like, we were at that concert and we were just like, don't cry. Like <laughs> cannot, right now in front of all of these young adults break down crying while we're, while this song is being played. But it was like, there's something so powerful in, in that song, particularly it's, that is my favorite song by you. Um, which is funny. Cause it's not like this hype song with like all these crazy stuff. It's like a very like stripped down song. Mm. And just like lyrically, I think it is like extremely beautifully written. Where you're you're telling this story that many Christians know, and even people who aren't Christian kind of know the story of David and Goliath, um, and then you just kind of like tell a story about it, about how David and Goliath and and him wrestling with whether or not he should be king and how that is, mm-hmm. and he doesn't feel like he's worthy. But then you get to the next verse, and then it's David and Bathsheba, and then at the <laughs> end with like the little twist where where you've got the line about how. David, uh, Goliath was a monster, but it takes one to kill one. So what does that make me? And you're just like, oh my goodness, this is so good. Um, so I wanted to ask you specifically about that song because I'm such a large fan of it. Um, what, what brought you to writing that particular song? Um, and, and what kind of place made you want to have that kind of honesty in a song where like it deals with some pretty heavy stuff? Um, that sometimes I feel like worship music or I don't know it, 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 it's such a weird category to put things in but I'll just yeah, put yeah, it there because sure. why not 
um something that often worship music doesn't go to is like these weird dark places and even it ends in like a weird way so so what was your process with that why did you why did you write that song and um what was like your motivation behind doing that one yeah yeah well thank you so much for for the encouragement around it like i like i've kind of said i think there's that one and one that hopefully will uh be on on my uh full-length record that i'm gonna be starting Mm. pretty soon here that are like if i die now I could be happy that I wrote those two. Um, <laughs> I hope, I hope they're not like the thing that like, I like, you know, at the end of my life that like, I think hopefully I've, I've, I've felt like I've surpassed them, but like, I'm, I'm yeah. really, really satisfied to have written them at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like Goliath was an interesting one. Cause like I didn't plan it. Um, it just kind of like, uh, like sometimes what happens is like a line will just kind of wander across my mind. And then yeah. I like just like build out of that. And so I was like, yeah, I was actually, I just graduated from Briarcrest actually when like this step first, like I've got no need to follow the footsteps of Kings. I just wanted 10 pastures, kill giants with pebbles and slings that kind of like mm. just came across my mind. I was like, okay, I want to build this out. And a lot of like the actual sitting down and writing it is pretty murky. Sometimes that happens. Like, like certain songs I'm like, okay, like I just like, this came out in half an hour. Uh, that yeah. one didn't, it was like over the course of probably, Probably, probably a little bit under a year uh mm. and i don't know how many sessions it was of kind of just sitting down and tinkering with it um but i think yeah like it was like and it's one of those ones too like you know it's like i feel like i kind of discovered it in a lot of ways like and and i'm even like i, I think i've still like kind of been discovering meaning behind it um mm. as time as the best the best way i've been able to describe it is, is like it's a song about expectations um, and like, I mean, obviously for me, like, it's kind of personal in the sense of like, so David's this songwriter, uh, he's this, um, like bleeding heart kind of worship leader, King person. Yeah. Um, and, and when you're a worship leader, people say to you all the time, oh, you have the heart of David, you have the heart of David. And, and, uh, that is really beautiful compliment, but like, you also sometimes like go like, like, like David, I look at myself and I'm, mm. I'm kind of nervous to hear that um, because I know how flawed I am. Mm. And so this is kind of an exploration of that. And I think like, that's like that one of those things where like that, that whole sense of the, in the second verse about, about um, basically the almighty looking into your chest cavity and like what that looks like. um, That's like maybe the most I've resonated with something I've written from like Mm. a a personal standpoint coming out. and so it was just kind of like, I just kind of followed the song where it needed to go. And it, it took me to that ending where it ends mm-hmm. on an unhappy, like it ends on like a question and it doesn't answer it and it doesn't yeah. resolve happily. And I think that's something that like, if I were to like, so um, as much as I'm like, as much as I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to just utterly critique um christian pop art because there's places for certain things i i tend to indict christian movies pretty hard yeah Uh, and a a huge reason for that is is like is that they they just don't ring true to me at all they don't ring like 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 they they are whitewashed and clean and sanitary Mm. and there's nothing scary about them there's nothing uh yeah and they just they don't to me reflect a accurate depiction depiction of humanity and they wrap up really neatly and nicely and um and i felt like this song like i just once i'd written that line there was just nowhere else for it to go there was no need Mm. to like there was no point in trying to make it cleaner um Mm. and uh 
And I knew that like our generation would probably be okay with it. I wasn't sure like how the soccer mom, like listening to like praise 105 <laughs> or whatever, like go to her thing. But truth is, man, like they responded beautifully too. Mm. Like they like, really resonated with the song. Cause I think, I think we got it wrong where we just thought like, Oh, people can't take real like sorrow and stuff where it's like, actually people are just looking for permission to bleed. And so to the question mm. about like honesty, uh, yeah, I just feel like the need for that. And I think the Psalms and scripture give us immense permission for that more. Like, so first of all, like obviously David, um, but then also I think like even just like our savior prayed to get out of it <laughs> in, in the garden. Uh, and that was him in his fullness of his humanity. And like, mm. it's not a loss. It's not us being like, like, it's, it's, it's human and not like in a sinful human sense to go through those places. And he meets us in those places. And I felt like it was important to say that. Um, and, uh, and like to that point, like, so like, that's not a corporate worship song, Goliath. It's more of like a prayer, I guess, in a sense, yeah. but like, um, but there's this like sense in which like there does need to be a reality of that in, in like that honesty in our worship. Like I've said before, like I've heard worship leaders say, and they, and they mean, well, um, they'll say like, you know, whatever you brought in here, just check that at the door, come in here. And like, they're, like their, their notion behind that is like, don't be distracted, like come in here yeah. and like be able to focus on God. The problem is nowhere are we told to like leave our stuff at the door. Like, mm. like, Jesus, like, or sorry, David's dragging it in with him all the time. It's like, yeah. God, I feel this, 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 and this. And then, but like in Psalm 73, you see this thing where it's like, he's dragging in all this stuff. And he's probably like, it sounds his most cynical he ever does. And they said, mm. I felt like a senseless animal to you until I entered your sanctuary. Mm. And then suddenly his perspective is shifted by Yahweh and his eyes open and he sees, uh, and that's what worship is meant to do. It's meant to transform us. So it's like, man, bring your junk, bring all of it um don't don't hide it at the door um and that doesn't mean you have to be like a walking misery bag um yeah. but like be real be real and it's like man when you're having a great day have a great day if you're having a terrible day have a terrible day feel it all the way through mm. um and and so i think like that was like yeah i wrote a whole blog article about goliath and honesty um if you google the mess and the mending it might pop up i don't know how search hmm. engines work <laughs> but um uh and it's just about that concept of like man like we actually have permission to come before the lord in this and goliath is just like one aspect of that i think in a lot of the stuff that i'm writing is started going to start to be coming out is like is that notion of um what it means to yeah like just like these are my real wrestlings like they're not yeah. like you know uh and so I i'm very okay with uh understanding i think i think god expects doubt of us um mm. and that that is not unholy um if we bring it to him yeah. and uh and and bring it before him because I, I just don't see a picture in scripture where that's not the case if if mm. jesus himself uh is asking to be free of, of, of what's being asked of him. And he's obedient, but that's yeah. like, you know, and that's like ultimately the paradigm, right? It's like, man, let's, let's allow doubt to course, but mm. to the end of obedience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, I had a conversation with someone recently and they highlighted that the reason why people like you or me or others sometimes feel frustrated with quote unquote worship music isn't because, like being happy and whatever is bad it's that it's just like mm -hmm. right now it feels really outweighed that when we mm -hmm. when we write these songs it feels like we don't have a lot of space for 
the realness and like, you know what? Life just sucks right now. And a lot of times they are just like wrap it up with a bow, like the Christian movie yeah. industry. And there's not a lot of like worship songs that sound like Martin Scorsese's silence. We are like, I don't know what to yeah. do with this. Life <laughs> sucks. Uh, uh -huh. Okay. And that's, um, and I think that that's something that that song particularly connected with me and my roommate and others with. And I think that there's more and more of that coming over. We're like finding a balance where it's like these, like, like everything is awesome. Songs are not terrible. Uh, yeah. It's just that we got to like have the totally. balance between the, the different emotions people are feeling. Last question for Absolutely. you as we wrap up. Um, what gives you hope? Like it's easy for, especially I find that it's easy for musicians <laughs> to be critical of worship music. But what, when you look at um, our culture right now and where things are shifting, what's giving you hope for, for the future of this genre of quote unquote worship music and, and worship in general? Yeah, man, I think there are, I think there are people who are coming out and like a lot of them aren't doing, uh, they're not quite in the realm of congregational, but there are people who are doing amazing stuff. Um, like, mm -hmm. yeah, you like, uh, I mean, um, uh, McMillan is like one of my all time favorites. He's not yeah. new by any means, but he's like, he's been a huge influence on me. Um, but like in terms of like young guys, like Chris Renzema, uh, mm. Gable Price and friends, yeah. um, just doing incredible work. Um, like some of those, some of those Marsville guys who are still going like, you know, citizens and King's kaleidoscope. Um, but honestly, man, too, like to the point of hope, like, I, I don't think that the big churches, like the, the Hillsong Elevations, Bethel's like, they, they still put out great stuff. It's just, it's like, yeah. sometimes it's sometimes like sandwiched into like a lot of stuff that becomes white noise to me, but there's mm -hmm. so much there that is like, there, like there, there is, there's absolutely hope. And I think like for me, um, I, th I think like the answer to like how it means to like have this stuff deep in understanding, a lot of it's going to be in, uh, in individual conversations. It's going to be, it's not going to be like these big social media, like, like that, that, that Twitter world is about concise, like making everything as like concise as possible to the point where like, you, there's no nuance ever, but like, yeah really individual conversations I think were really important mm. uh, and like even just like to the point of hope this is kind of like a strange thing but like I don't know if you know who Daryl Johnson is uh, yeah he's, he's a pastor in his 70s he's like out in his way he's incredible he actually did our he spoke at our staff retreat um for, huh. uh, for uh like I guess the last one we had before COVID um <laughs> and uh that was a while ago now so he spoke at that and he speaks at Worship Central and they actually had him down to Belonging Co's conference because of the Worship Central one, just because mm. he is this, just like, he's not a, he's not a flashy, hip, young pastor. He's an no. elderly, incredibly faithful, biblically saturated man who could not have a softer heart or a deeper mm. understanding of scripture. And he communicates so beautifully and clearly. And for like these, for, for like these big worship conferences to start to recognize that and bring him in that is beautiful and that's a big mm -hmm. deal and i think that's going to be a, a thing that's changing things and so like and i i hope to just be part of that part of that like that movement of like hey like let's invite people into it more um where it's like guys like you can look the part you can wear your skinny jeans you can have tattoos that's great but like just be just actually like have Jesus at the center of everything and make it the most important part of all of it. Um, and, and I see that like throughout the thing, I think like even for village, like our team, like you have a lot of people, yeah, they look the part, but they're also like just incredibly soft hearted um, disciples who are like, you mm. know, um, and so I'm grateful for that. Even like, yeah, village is like a church is like this church that's like really intentional about meeting culture where it's at reaching skeptics um, 
not feeling like we're behind understanding of like relevance yeah. and that kind of thing, but like we're super biblically founded and like, you know, we're, we're not just like, we're not trying to push style over substance. We're trying to do both. So no, yeah. that's good. Joshua, thank you so much for doing this. Um, if people yeah. want to learn more about you or support you, how can they mm. do that? Yeah. So I'm on everything. Uh, I really have no, like no Twitter presence, but like Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> uh, Instagram, Joshua Leventhal music, uh, Facebook, you just search Joshua Leventhal. You'll find me. I have a website as well. Joshualeventhal.com. Um, as far as like, uh, supporting, I do have a Kickstarter coming up next month, mid April, uh, for a full length album. going to need to raise, uh, $30,000 to do it well. Um, and I have some experience crowdfunding, so it's obviously a large number, but, uh, believing we can do it. And I, last time was just such a beautiful exercise in trusting Jesus, because I literally had to just open my hands and put it all in his and, uh, saw that come to life in a really incredible way. So that will be all over my social media. So if you, uh, can hop on there and, and, you know, watch the video, see what you think about what it is I'm trying to do, um, and support in that way, that'd be beautiful. And if you can't even just praying, praying for the project, mm. praying for, uh, yeah, even just trying to balance, like, you know, trying to balance, uh, ministry life. That's like very pastoral while also trying to create and make stuff and do it all well. Um, it's a lot. So, yeah. Joshua, thank you for doing this. I'm excited to hear that album. Uh, I'll definitely plug it when it comes out. Thank you Thanks, so much for doing this. It's been a ton of fun. Yeah. Really appreciate it.